So me and Kevin were thinking this week, how should we go about this? Do we want to be woe is me, sad off of the loss against the Rams? We could do that. No, we could we could try to pick ourselves up with positivity. Or we could get Josh Cribbs to come on the Dogs of War podcast. What do you think about that, Kevin? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dogs of War podcast. Number one Browns podcast on the planet. You got Kevin and Raleigh. And ladies and gentlemen, our guest needs no introduction, but he's still going to get one, of course. Signed by the Browns as an undrafted free agent after the 2005 NFL Draft, the pride of Dunbar High School in Washington, D.C. After playing college football for the Kent State Golden Flashes and having his number nine retired, he became second-team All-Pro in the NFL in 07, first-team All-Pro in 2009, three-time Pro Bowler in Raleigh. Did you know that in 2010, he donated that Pro Bowl check to the Haiti Earthquake Relief Fund? I did know that, Kevin. 2007 NFL kickoff return yards leader, NFL 2000s all-decade team, member of the Cleveland Browns legends, tied for second most NFL career record with eight kickoff returns for touchdowns, and also an NFL record for two kickoffs for 100 yards or more, return for touchdowns in a single game, just absurd. Four-time Hall of Fame nominee, he and his wife Maria, who everyone in Cleveland also knows, have hosted Cribs in the Clee on WOIO since 2019. They also co-host the return with Josh and Maria Cribs every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern. Ladies and gentlemen, Josh Cribs. Wow. Sir, it is an absolute pleasure and honor guys. to have you. We've uh, been looking for this for a very long time, so it's a big moment for the show. We uh, Thanks for joining us. How are you doing? I- I'm doing excellent. I appreciate that uh, wonderful uh, intro. As you were talking, I'm like, wow, okay. All right. All right, getting goosebumps. Like, well, I can I, go I back to apologize and if I do your college. If I did your college stats, that'd be two pages on its own. So I apologize for only doing the a selected few. Dude, your intros have been killing it. Great. Like... <laughs> I appreciate you guys. No, thanks for coming on. We appreciate you very much. Can you talk to us about the new show, um, the podcast that you and Mrs. Cribs have been doing this year? Yes, I love it. It's uh it's it's it's, it's Browns football meets entertainment, meets uh everything, uh relationships. And everything is kind of married all into one because of my wife. And it's very interesting because a lot of times we're not, you know, how uh, relationships work. We're not on the best of terms all of the time. So we still got to do a show. Just like when we did Cribs in the CLE, we still had to do a show. And uh, sometimes, you know, I wear my emotions on my sleeve. And it's hard to separate the two sometimes. But uh, she definitely adds a unique perspective and so much uh, fire to the show. When we're talking Browns football, we're talking NFL football, relationships, sports, entertainment. You know, we we do it all. Uh, she's she's funny as hell too. <laughs> oh, I've seen it. it I watch quality product. I, the energy that you guys have on that show is what stuck sticks out the most to me. I mean, obviously, it's a great show, great content. You guys have great conversations, but you guys are both always so fired up when you're talking. No matter what you're talking about, there's just it's animated, it's packed. Like it's a great show. Like, a lot of times, I don't want to be that fired up, <laughs> but as soon as we start, my wife is man. I'm like, man, can we we argue right before it come on? Like. Can we just talk regular? I don't want to be yelling in the screen. She's like, no, you got to pick it up. And, and just her energy. <laughs> I, th- I, mean, I see it as enthusiasm. I never saw anger out there, but it, it's, it's a great, well, the chemistry is phenomenal. Well, yeah, that's my wife. I love her to death. And, you know, she's my person. And it's, you know, it's unique because opposites attract. And uh, I believe mm-hmm. that. Like, um, but she is a force. And um, I try to keep up with her you know, and, and try to match her energy, you know, but I, I keep having to remind her, look, I, I'm not on the football field. Like this is, <laughs> this is not football. Like I'm not going to have the same, you know, I love talking sports. That's my passion, 
you know, but she brings a different element completely. And um, I'm usually the husband in the background apologizing, like, I'm sorry, guys, for her. She didn't mean to say that. I'm sorry. <laughs> All the time. <laughs> so I have to ask, what was she like at games that you were playing in, in the crowd? Man. I mean, uh, she doesn't want me to play. She didn't want me to play. She wanted me to retire a long time ago, you know, uh, after taking the hits. And um, she didn't want our son to play football. I mean, uh, after I, I would take a few hits, she was like, wait a minute now. She was like, I'm not liking because I didn't take those hits at Kent State. You know, as a quarterback, you know, I, if I was in trouble, I ran, got out of, you know, got out of pocket or whatever, did what I had to do. But um, the NFL, just the, the caliber of hits, the gladiator-type sport that it is, man, after taking so many hits, getting knocked out, she was like, nah, man, this ain't, this ain't what I thought it was going to be. And, you know, uh, you know, we would talk often, like, she was like, is this enough? Is that enough? You know, and anytime I show her a highlight, anybody shows a highlight, she, she always put her hands in her ears like, are, are they going to get hit? Somebody going to get hit? Like, she doesn't want to see it because it brings back flashbacks of, you know, when I played and I got hit. So her passion for the game changed from, you know, uh, me had running back touchdowns to then getting concussions and getting hit and everything like that. I imagine she's not alone in that camp. I mean, I get probably not as high levels of anxiety, but like anytime a Browns quarterback is scrambling, it's like, just please slide, be safe, be yes. safe. Yes. Uh, <laughs> something that, uh, that you you uh on your i think recent episode saw something that resonated with me and i haven't figured out how to formulate this into a coherent concise question yet but i'm gonna do my best <laughs> prayers um you said yeah i get into arguments with imaginary people in my house while watching this game i'm like okay he is absolutely one of us mm -hmm. we as fans we kind of freak out uh we're bipolar it's not the healthiest, whichever team you support. Um, you can probably understand that those in listener land. I have to imagine the players are not as bipolar, crazy all over the place as we are. Cause it's like, they still have to function in a healthy manner. Like whether you lose a close one or blow a team out, but then like, what did you, you said, do you play with your emotions on your sleeve or did you have a more well-tempered, uh mindset week in and week out and was there ever a shift once you got out of off the field and into the fandom that's a great question you did an awesome job I thanks josh Grips. You, that. you did it you did that but um yes absolutely once um when i played the game football is the biggest team sport so when you play the game you're coached to just do your job don't do nobody else's job do your job so when i performed as a returner wildcat whatever i did as a high level i started to have success personally but then i'm like man like the most of the games i'm scoring touchdowns we're losing you know i i battled i had most of my greatest stats came against the steelers and we didn't beat them very often and we would be leading in the fourth quarter and then ben roethlisberger does something special scrambles around and then we lose and and I started to sit on the sideline after performing and getting my team to the running it all the way to the 15 and then Phil Dawson be kicking a field goal from the 20. We didn't lost yards, you know, on offense. So it got to the point where that I, I took with my uh, as a player, players are told, do your job. And and then you, you can rest easy knowing that your job is safe because everybody is their own entity. As a player, we're playing for not just the Browns, but our own names and our own families. Because they, you can be replaced. The Browns will still be here. You'll just be gone, like Donovan Peoples-Jones. He's with the with the uh, the uh, the Detroit Lions now, so he's not with the Browns. So he simply have to worry as a player about him and his play, and that's it. But soon as I became a fan, now I knew why the name Cardiac Kids came about. <laughs> because every game, I swear, I care about every position, not just the position I play, but I have, I literally get anxiety. You can add schizophrenia to that, not just bipolar. Mm -hmm. I'm talking to people. I'm, I have different personalities. I also said, 
I, I, I really don't like going to watch parties because I can't truly be myself. I need to cuss at the screen. I need to, you know, the coach, the player, even though he can't hear me. I stop myself from texting Coach Stefanski every game, even though I know that he won't read it during the game. Like, he's not going to take out, like, who's, who's texting me? And then during the game, oh, Crib, okay, Crib got an idea. Like, I think, like, I think he's going to actually do that. I stop myself from texting uh, uh, AB, you know, uh, Andrew Barry all the time. And it's constant battle that I have with myself, with myself when I watch the game. I cut the TV off about three to four times a game. And I say, you know what? As if the luck that I'm having is on, like, will, will influence the, the guys on the field. So I say, you know what? When I went to the bathroom, they did good. Maybe I need to cut the game off for a little bit. So I would cut the game off, come back, and they're doing worse. I'm like, oh, my God, I can't get away from this because if I stop watching now, they're going to do bad. But I go through these ups and ro- ups and downs, roller coaster rides. I, I, uh, I, I pay attention to your feed as well and uh, other Browns fans. And I'm looking around trying to get clarity. And as a, as a fan, I now see and feel the heart popputations, popputations and the, the blood boiling and the psychosis that we all go through as a, each week. And most of my the time, either before a game or after a game, I spend most of my time trying, through our losses, I'm trying to forget about the game. I'm trying to watch a series. When the Browns lose, I don't want to watch football for the rest of the weekend. Like, I don't care about nothing else on, on TV. I don't want to watch Monday night football. I'm like, man, they, they still play on Monday night? I'm like, y'all messing up my team. Like, I'm trying to get rid of that. If they win, it's the exact opposite. Now I can sit down and enjoy the week. I can enjoy game. The food tastes better. The the drinks, they're, they're tastier. I can sit down in relief. And that is a weekend, my ebb and flow, when I'm going through Browns during the season as a fan. No one has ever gotten Browns fans more than this man right here. No, no, he that was spot on. That, that like that's Josh. This guy hides in the bathroom every field goal. Every field yeah, goal. Perfect segue into the urinal of destiny at Goodnight John Boy in Chicago. I noticed that the Dustin Hopkins misses. Excuse me, makes his field goals when I'm in the urinal of destiny, and other teams, <laughs> other teams will miss it in the urinal of destiny, and I'm like, okay. I don't want to go to the bathroom every single time. So I'll like test it out when there's like a cushion lead or something. And it's like, what the hell? He just missed it. Like, I I don't like admitting that it has power, but what kind of sorcery is this? And then the worst was last week. We were so jacked up about the last touchdown. The Browns scored, like we're high fiving and it's like, Oh, extra point. And I'm like, okay, I'm out of position. I'm out of position. And then he misses it. I yelled at in the bar because these people knew of the year I was getting cyber bullied. I'm like, I just let me let me put something in your head real quick. When he when Dustin Hopkins missed that field goal, <laughs> as soon as he missed it, like Dustin Hopkins, you SOB. You know what? You're trying to set it up for another game-winning field goal. Oh, that's what he's trying to do. Because look at this. Had Flacco not through that interception, what would have happened? They would have done just enough to get to the 35-yard line, and what would have happened? Dustin Hopkins would have had a third straight field goal winning. I mean, it was – I foreshadowed it. He was going to kick another game-winning field goal. And And it felt like I was asking myself, did he do that on purpose, Dustin? And I was – I had tweeted. I put an X out. I was like, I'm going to worry about that after the game, that missed field goal, because I felt like he did it on purpose. That's because we were gonna, we had the – our defense made a stop. We had the – we got the ball back, and it was – it was uh, we were down by one point driving before the Flacco interception. Had the interception not been thrown, it was going to be a, the same thing like it happened weeks, weeks prior. We were going to drive the ball in field goal range. Dustin Hopkins was going to win the game. And damn near get a contract extension. Because look what he had on the re- his resume. Three, he, he's also, he's breaking stats. He's a pro bowler right now. He's playing like one anyway. 
But, I mean, how can you not herald this guy if he would have won the game yet again after missing, because he did that with the Ravens, after missing that field goal in a crucial moment, but then coming back and winning the game again. I was like, Dustin Hopkins, you better stop trying to be a genius. I was getting pissed off. <laughs> well, we're going to hop all over the place, but you brought up Flacco, so I want to go here real quick. In your episode on the podcast with your wife this week, I'm really glad you hit on this because I really do think people take it for face value when they say, oh, Flacco was sitting on his couch two weeks ago. Can you talk about as a pro athlete how you're not actually sitting at home on your couch seven <laughs> days a week? Yes. You know, people, you know, and it's just a term. Yes. At some point, he sat on his couch. <laughs> but, <laughs> but that doesn't mean that he didn't train twice a day, twice before that. You know, as a pro athlete, um, we, we follow this quote. It's better to be prepared for an opportunity and not have one than have an opportunity and not be prepared. So Flacco and his agent and all NFL free agents, even RG3, they are still training and keeping their bodies in shape. Rightfully so, just in case the phone rings. They had probably just worked out either the day before or that morning. And it will consist of strength and conditioning and sharpening their craft. I guarantee you Flacco had a high school or college kid or, uh, or uh, a veteran wide receiver who doesn't play anymore running routes. Um, I did the same thing. When I was look, having uh, opportunities to play on different teams, the call, the phone rang twice. When I, when I went to the uh, Jets and the, and, the, and the Colts to go to play my fir first playoff game, the phone rang. I had just worked out a few, uh, few hours before, and I was ready because those workouts are so intense. If you're not in, in shape and in condition, you're throwing up. That's how much of the rigor. You're throwing up. Your stomach hurt. You, you're going to be cramping. You're going to feel it. So best believe, you know, Joe Flacco, sat on his couch at one point to watch television but he was not just sitting on the couch you know with you know uh, all day watching <laughs> netflix and chilling for weeks on end and then the browns called and like oh, oh okay let me open my playbook and you know let me get things squared away right now since they called me no he was ready and it showed out there uh uh sunday absolutely Josh, what are those workouts like when they bring in a quarterback or a wide receiver to the facility, you know, when they got to fill a roster spot, what are they making you go through? Um, and how, like, how's that structured? Yeah. You go through your own personal practice, you know, and it's, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to train for that as well. Um, as a receiver, um, I went through the whole route tree on both sides of the field and I had to simulate as if it was a drive, basically a two minute drive. I'm, I'm full speed because you want to put your best foot out there. You're jogging back. It's no, it's no walk back. You're running every single route, catching the ball, then you jog back. And then you get ready for another route. They're swapping quarterbacks. They're using, as a receiver, they're using practice squad quarterbacks. And it's not just one guy. And so it's not like they get tired. You're the one that's out there, you know, as if it's a two-minute warning you know, two minute drive and you're constantly going. Then they put you through, a, uh, you know, maybe drills, um, change of direction drills, see if you can, you know, you still got your, your knees are good just to make sure everything works. And depending on if you're a super veteran or not, I can tell you this, um, Flacco uh, didn't, he wasn't worked out as if uh, he was a, a, a rookie. They came in knowing, okay, he can throw the ball. He, you know, mentally he's there. So I'm pretty sure he went through uh, a few receivers, probably had three on each side, and they gave him routes to throw. They had him move from right to left to simulate rushes to see if he can move out of the pocket, if he can throw under duress. Um, the timing routes, three-step drops, uh, timing routes on the out routes, the bang eight routes are some are so critical and that's just timing if the ball comes out on time uh the zip on the ball and he he showed that in the game that that was similar to the workout going through the route the route tree and been simulating pressure 
It wasn't as if they gave him a playbook because that's not realistic. They had to teach that. But on his workout, it's constantly, you know, dropping back, throwing the ball out of the gun, dropping back from underneath the center, and going through different receivers in the route tree. Um, so when it comes to describing Flacco's first game, the extent of my football vocabulary is pretty much, man, he looked good. Uh, <laughs> do you have any thoughts uh, that sound a lot more structured and <laughs> as if you played in the NFL or you could describe him, things that you notice that yes. are at, a tribute to him or the coaching <laughs> staff or the offense as a whole. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. Guys. I had that one sick question. You. The word is a word that you can use for quarterbacks like uh, Joe Flacco is poised, you know, and I've been, you know, coining the term super veteran because, you know, honestly, Joe Flacco is probably a year and a half younger than I am. And um, so it's not much that can rattle him. So unlike Deshaun, um, Deshaun was on his second contract. He's in his 20s. Uh, Joe Flacco has him by a decade. So he's been there and done that. So you can see and notice the poise in the pocket. He was okay with linemen breaking down uh, blocking and possibly getting sacked. Because that wasn't his issue. That wouldn't have been his problem to fix. He's charged with standing, you know, standing back in the pocket, letting the route develop as the play should, and then delivering the ball on time. So his poise in the pocket, trusting his off, his offensive uh, linemen around him that they would block according to the play and delivering good footballs. And he did that with the knowledge, knowing like, man, these guys are coming for me. I can get hit at any moment. That's what you get in a super, vet, in a super veteran. He's He got hit a few times. But he definitely, if the he went through a normal progression, if the play wasn't there, what did you expect from Flacco? You didn't expect him to be mobile. He threw the ball away, mm -hmm. rightfully so. And I say that's a testament to uh, Coach Stefanski's offense. That's why I was saying, hey, Coach Stefanski coached a good game. He put Joe Flacco in the offense that he wanted him to play in in a good situation where he can deliver timing routes that wasn't just three-step or short routes as in DTR, those were the different things that you could do in a with a super veteran. If you looked at the difference of game plan calls from DTR and Joe Flacco, those were a lot night and day. The 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 amount of play calls that had Joe Flacco doing uh, play action, sitting back in the pocket, reading the defense, going through a progression, and throwing the ball down the field on timing was night and day as it related to DTR. DTR was dink, was dink and dunk. Underneath, trying to stay on track, dinking dunks. How many punts did we have, you know, when DTR? DTR definitely progressed. But with with Joe Flacco, noticeably, we were able to throw the ball down the field. Those were chunk plays, a, a, a bunch of them. Yes, it was to his old former teammate, Elijah Moore, but those were chunk plays. And there were still some drop balls in there. Mari Cooper, uh, uh, the Chiefs. And, and, and um, I think Elijah Moore had one. So those stats were, would have been uh, skewed as well. And he was able to, on his first drive, lead the Browns down the field and score a touchdown. So, mm -hmm. you know, hats off to him, man. We've seen a point. I think I think we all expected, because we're shell-shocked at this point, we all <laughs> expected, you know, uh, the bare minimum. And the offense. And in our expectations, he blew us out the water. Maybe we all need to calm back down and be like, yeah, he's still, you know, he's still uh, Joe Flacco. You know, he still has a ceiling. But that ceiling that he gave us was something we weren't expecting. And I think we can work with that. So speaking of quarterback, you know a hell of a lot about the position. People that don't know, if you're living under a rock or the 480 bridge, Josh was the quarterback at Kent State, his, his time there. Josh, can you talk about when you transitioned from college quarterback to being one of the best ever, what you did in the NFL, can you pinpoint one or two people who impacted you as a player the most in making that transition? And how tough was that? Oh, my God. Uh, the transition from quarterback to receiver? And, re and returner, yeah. The returner. So, my uh, returner first, that was easy. I was a blank slate. I was an empty canvas and never had done it before. Never caught a punt, never caught a kickoff. 
Um, uh, Jerry Rosberg, the special teams coordinator at the time, asked me, did I know of a guy named Brian Mitchell? I grew up in Washington, D.C., so that was, you know, Brian Mitchell played for Washington, D.C. He played for the Redskins at the time. And uh, he was the running back and the kick returner. He was like, emulate that guy. Cool. I seen, I grew up watching him. Cool. I'm going to do him. Um, becoming a receiver, I tried to look at guys like Dennis Northcutt and uh, Andre, uh, uh, I forgot his name, Andre, uh, dang, Dre Day. We called him uh, on the time. I forgot uh, his last name, but uh, A.B. Antonio Bryant. I was looking at those guys, but then I had to realize they didn't bring me here to play receiver. They brought me brought me here to be a returner. And um, you know, I remember running my first return straight up and down, and just run because I was running like Forrest Gump. I just didn't want to get hit, and I ran away from guys. I didn't put no jukes on them. I just seen a guy here, and I ran around him. That's when I when I scored my first touchdown. I remember talking to Jim Brown, and he was like, "Yeah, son, uh, you run with a height about you." He was like, uh, "Try a forward lean, you know, to prepare for a hit." You know what I mean? Like a running back. Those are his exact words. He was like, "You, you, do, do they show you old footage of how I used to run?" I'm like, <laughs> yeah. He's like, "Did you, do you, you see how I run with a forward lean?" And I was like, yeah, he was like, kind of emulate that because, man, you open yourself up to so much hits and it, it has to be hard for you to maneuver. So I took, I took advice from the GOAT and I changed up my running style so that it wouldn't be so straight up and down that I ran with a, a downward lean, you know, north and south, making downward cuts like a running back. So the transition for me, I was an open slate. Whatever knowledge somebody with validity would give me, that didn't it didn't it didn't uh, correspond with something I already knew. I took it at face value, like they were programming a computer. Gotcha. Okay, and I went and did it. I didn't have any bad techniques because I didn't have any techniques. I just went out there and did it. So when the coach told me to do something, I I looked at him with my eyes so big and was like, "Got you. I'm doing just that." And and they were able to mold me, and 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 uh, allow me to understand the the film study and the art of returning kicks and playing wide receiver. But it wasn't easy by no means because I had to learn it quickly and do it at a high level. The answer to this could be no, but did you ever have like an inner monologue as you were running, like, "Oh shit, shit, shit. oh that was awesome, that was awesome. Oh, I think I'm clear. I think I'm clear." Like, did you talk to yourself? I think that was made me the best, one of the best returners out there because I had such an inner voice. Nice. I had such an inner monologue when I remember my first punt, you know, punt return in practice during training camp. You know, when you were out there in training camp, if you missed a punt, everybody booed you. Everybody, you know, all the fans be like, boo, get him, who's this kid? And I was nervous. The ball was punted so far in the sky. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like that, do, you, do we see this? It's not the jug machine. So I remember the movie 300 was out there. That just came out when I was a rookie, the movie 300. I watched it in the hotel room. So when I got on the field, I was so nervous, I pretended to be Leonidas. In my head, I was like, this is Sparta. And the, the confidence that they had, I used to catch punts. I was like, man, I ain't scared. This is Sparta. And I just caught every punt. But before that saying, this is Sparta and having the courage. And after a while, it became second nature. I'm like, man, I'm I'm him out here. Uh, catching all the pack. Uh, because I knew I could catch. It was this confidence. In every game, I would talk to myself in the same way. All right, you going to catch it? Right before I go out there as a punt returner, as a, a kickoff cut, as a kickoff returner, I would snap my gloves up. I would unsnap it ceremonially, and and snap it back up and say the words, uh, uh, "Return uh, ball security is job security. You got this." Because every time the ball was either punted or kick it or kicked, everything kind of went. You know, you can hear the crowd yelling, but then when the ball was in the air, I had so much focus. It was like a movie. 
everything went silent. I can almost hear my heartbeat. And I caught the ball and went to work. So my inner voice was one that got me to where I needed to go. I don't want to talk. I just want to keep hearing him talk. And by the way, yeah, um, whether you like it or not, I believe you just became a 300 uh, voiceover video on Raleigh's Instagram page. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, for yeah. sure getting a video. Um, Josh, can you kind of on that same topic, um, for us uh, mere mortals, non-NFL players, one thing I've always wanted to ask you just out of just pure curiosity, this would be the dumbest question ever. When you're when that ball is kicked and you're looking up at that ball and you have 11 monsters running right at you to kill you. And again, you played before there was a lot, you know, the, the new rules and um, it was a lot more hardcore back then. Do you even have time to be scared at the thought of these guys coming after you? Or are you just focused on that ball and nothing else? You're absolutely right. There's no time. You're, it happens so quickly. The thought process of, of, of fear, by the time it's in the air, that's the fear. Catching. They didn't have to teach me how to run. It was just the catching part. Once I caught the ball, then I I, I was alive. Um, what gave me more confidence in the fear of getting hit was understanding there's a blocking assignment. There's a play, an actual play. Every punt return, every kickoff return, there was an actual play. So I would, for a long time, be able to learn how to and effectively master setting up my blocks, running a completely different way at an angle drawing everybody to me and then knowing my blockers were waiting for me on this side. I ran this way, drew the contact, drew the, drew the defense, and then stepped on the dime and ran right behind my blockers so that they would easily be able to pick up their blocks. And it's called, it's an easy term. It's called setting up your blocks. Running backs do it all the time. You will see them running at this angle, which allows your teammates to get in perfect blocking uh, formation and then you step on a dime and go a different way, and the blocks are already there waiting for you. So after understanding, because understand, guys, I played both sides of the ball as a returner. I mm-hmm. knew their responsibility. I knew that the R1, the right, the right safety on this side, he's going to run down full speed, then he'll pull out. He's a safety. The, the twos, the R2s and L2s on kickoff cover, they were contained guys. They weren't, they, their job was to not let you get it outside. So if you ran at them and threatened their contain, they would widen. So I would run at them to threaten their contain, making them to make forcing them to widen because that's their responsibility. Then step on a dime, knowing that there were going to be somebody coming from the inside. So I learned how to stiff arm. It was an art form. Knowing the responsibility of everybody on the defense made me that great of a returner. Now, respectfully, I think you're being a little too humble there. We know you can step on a dime and, and turn any way, which, which way at any speed. But let's be real. You ran through a lot of those defenders, too. Like, just bulldoze those people straight over as you were running down the field sometimes, too. I knew who I could run through. And I knew, <laughs> uh, you know, it, I, it was strategic. It was strategy. So a lot of times, you know, I was big enough that I could run away from the bigger linebacker type guys. But I was also... You know, well, I mean that in reverse. I was small enough to run away from those linebacker type guys and fast enough, but I was big enough that the DBs had trouble tackling me. Those were the guys mostly on the edges. So if I got to the edge of the defense of in a return, you you had a guy like a, a safety, a smaller type guy, uh, like a corner trying to chase me, trying to bring me down. And I played heavy guys. I played at my heaviest. I was 230. But majority of my career, I'm 225, you know, uh, bench pressing 405 and, and squatting 500. So I was a big load to bring down as a returner. Raleigh and I can relate to those uh, benching and, and squatting numbers for sure. <laughs> uh, quick, side question. Um, has Julian Edelman um, dropped off his Super Bowl rings and MVP? Because doesn't he owe you for writing his formula? Hey, that's that's interesting. That's uh that's that's good you said that. I, I feel like he gives me too much credit a lot of times because understand they wanted him to be the me, right? When he came out, uh, I had good success against the Patriots as well out of Kent State. Our head coach, Dean Pease, was with the Patriots. He left Kent State to coach with his guy, Belichick, and they knew each other. So 
I was with the Browns and having success. Julian Edelman came out a few years later. They was like, you know what, that Cribs guy, you know, we got another quarterback at Kent just like Cribs was. So they brought him there to be the return gadget type guy that I was with Cleveland. And then, so we'll say, he'll tell the story like, you know, uh, it's because the Cribs, I got my start. And if I, if I, if they didn't see him, they wouldn't have had a chance to see me. And I'm like, ah, oh, stop that, man. You know, you know, almost bringing me to tears. But it's because through injury, injury, remember that year uh, with the Patriots, um, Wes Welker got hurt. He was their guy. Mm-hmm. And Julian stepped in and just, I think he way outplayed what Wes Welker was known to do. And then the next year they got rid of Wes Welker and there, there was the start of Julian Edelman's uh, great career with the Patriots. And um, you think about how people can, uh, floors through injury. That's how Tom Brady got his start. Yeah. When Drew, Bled- when Drew Bledsoe went down, then the backup came in, which was Tom Brady. And then Drew Bledsoe didn't play no more. He ended up getting traded and whatever. And that was the end of hell. However, you know, uh, that's that's how things work with Julian Edelman. So, you know, he'll tell that story. And I always tell him, ah, you, you're great on your own. You know, it's crazy. You only retired just a few years ago with 2017, but I feel like the game has changed even so much since then. When you look at it now, because like I said, when you were catching those punts and kickoffs, like it was a whole different ball game back then with the rules and the hitting and everything. When you look at the evolution of the game from when you play to what it is now, what are some things you like and what are some things that you and maybe other retired players are like, that's absurd. And it's just, that's not the direction it should be going in, if at all. It's absurd the way they changed the kicking game. It's absurd the way they added fair catch to kickoff. Every time I see a guy fair catch it, I, 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 I cringe. Pat McAfee talked about this on his show as well. Like I cringe for the fact that kickoff guy like Pat McAfee or kickoff guy can't be strategic and that good to make a guy catch a, a, a a, a kickoff inside the 10 the goal line and then force them to either let it go out of bounds to see if it's going to go out of bounds or see if it's going to go in the end zone or return it like that to mess up their return their return game because kicking a, a ball like that is difficult for a kicker. So to allow uh, the, the, the uh, returner to fair catch a kickoff like college is absurd. It takes out the skill play necessary for a kicker. That that demen- that minimizes the kicker's value because now they just try to kick it out the end zone, or else the returner would just there catch it. So save the game or save in from injury because guys are out here getting concussed all over the place, regardless. And they move the they change the kickoff. You know, and may, and pushed it up further to 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 force guys to get in the end zone or touchback. You know, under the guise of we're going to keep guys injured. I just said if I could catch the ball moving forward, I did. I did that. But I want everybody to know what happens behind the scenes. You know, so NFL will tell you. And that's a, that's one of the biggest gripes I have with the NFL. You know, it under the guise of saving yourself from injury, they have average about more commercials than normal if the if it wasn't a kickoff through the end zone. So every touchback, they go straight to the commercial. And what do you think that, that helps the NFL do? Gets more money. So by changing that rule, mm. it's more commercials, on average, it comes to about $2 million more because the ball per game, that the ball is immediately whistled dead and it goes to commercial before the offense come out on the field. So if it didn't go to commercial, what happened? It'll be a play. But because it doesn't, whistle it dead, touchback, go straight to commercial, you know, on average, five more commercials per game, more money, Blase blah, blah, don't care about the injury. You got you understand how that works? That's if fascinating. It could, if it could ser- serve both points, because there was no stats to prove that they did it for injury. So 
I hate that the rules changed such in a way that it took away from special teams because that's a great phase of, of the game that, you know, you could win or lose a game by field position. Just like, just like uh, free throws win, wins, loses games, they say, you know, special teams is that more important, that much important. Yeah, it kind of makes sense why they, they also that's incredible. moving the, the, the touchback, it's on the 25 now versus the 20. And so it's also like if one is kicked like one yard into the end zone, making guys think about it a little more and encouraging the knee. I mean, I'll be honest, every time there's a kickoff and the Browns are receiving, I'm like, just kneel it, just kneel it. Just kneel it because you don't got nobody back there anyway. Yeah. You and <laughs> yeah. you know what? I'm scared if I was a uh, coordinator because that's one of my dreams before, you know, if, if, if the if media wasn't working out for me because I, I know the problems that we're facing as a return unit. The guys don't get enough depth. So the, the, the timing between the returner catching it and the block, they're off, the timing is off every kickoff. So I'm, I'm saying the same thing you're saying, like just, just touch back, just let it go because the timing is, is completely off. And the teams that do well, they have a special teams returner. You, you've been seeing some of the return game on some of these good teams have an effect. That's all we're missing. Because we had so many injuries on offense, if we had a, a, a return game, that will in turn change, that will flip the field position. That will help our defense out and give our offense the, the go-ahead nudge that it needs. But because we don't, that's why our team suffers, and we can't even see that. Not that we didn't try to and A.B., Andrew Burry, he tried to satisfy the return game. I want people to understand that um, with Jakeem Grant, but he got yep. injured. Hey, glass half full. Your records can't be touched then if we're, if we're playing this uh, this type of return game now. So, hey. And and, and shameless plug, man, for myself. <laughs> I, I hate um, because people introduce me as, you know, he tied the kick return. No, 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 no. I, I broke the record the Kansas City Chiefs, and then I broke my own record again. And then somebody tied me. You get, you get what I'm saying? Like, oh, hell yeah. yeah. If the record was this when I played, I would have broke that. I didn't care about the number. So records are made to be broken. So I hate that term when people say, yeah, he, he, he tied the – no, no, I didn't tie the record. I broke the record. Somebody just came behind me and broke it, you know. For, so when I played – the times that it was when I played, I broke the record and then broke it again. So I let the record show. <laughs> no, and, and again, I didn't have – we didn't have enough uh, paper to even talk oh, about your college records. You. It's not on you. No, 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 no. I'm just saying, for people that are – you say these records are meant to be broken. What I'm saying is, so the franchise records you set, the, the NCAA records you set, like, it, it, no one's sniffing those for any time soon, so. And and you were quite humble about it, too. I'm sounds like i'm kidding but do you have any idea how much shit i would talk if i had a fraction of the accomplishment i mean you know granted i never played in the nfl but just any one thing you did like december i would i don't believe that if oh, you I did would. that i guarantee you because that process of doing it you don't need to talk about it. you did it oh that's and, why and i you, never did and, and if you broke those records i guarantee you didn't have you wouldn't have to they speak for themselves so well, when I did, when I had those accomplishments, man, that that was the best time of my life. I, my, the the joy I got, production, hearing it, like because other people talk about the records and I forget about them. Oh, they start like Dion recently said uh, on an interview. He's like, "Yeah, I was loud and everything, but I mean, my play was loud enough. That's all I needed out there." Absolutely. I I need to run my mouth or, you know, flex. I, my play did that for me. Wait, so, but he was awesome at running his mouth. Too. Right. Oh, he's a pro. He's one of the best ever, but I'm saying he's like, he's like, even if with, without talking, I still would have been the loudest out there because of my play. Yeah. That, I mean, that's yeah. Fair. Yeah. Um, Dion, he, uh, he broke the mold in a, in a way because it, it, you can only talk like that if you could back it up. Yeah. You know, it, it, the problem is a lot of times people talk and I'm like, man, you're not good. Who are you? What's your name again? You know, so I, I think we all give because nobody likes a person that brags. But if you brag, you better back it up. He was the guy. He did back it up. He was that guy. 
Uh, ending on a high note. Um, by the way, thanks again for coming on. This, this yeah, this has been great. Chills this whole episode. Uh, do you know what? Uh, which of your punt returns stood out to you the most as your favorite, and why was it December 30th, 2007, last game of the season against the 49ers to secure a 10 and six record? And you caught it right in front of me. I was sitting in the dog pound, and you ran away from me. It was badass. Um, why was that your favorite catch? <laughs> <laughs> excuse me you were there because you were there thank you that was my, right. it was my favorite because you told me it was, you were there you know what um <laughs> i thought you pointed to me yeah i did i was pointing right at you i is because you were there because you just said it became my favorite hell yeah punt right. returns this i, I, uh, like I should have had many more though punt returns i remember i, 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 um, I took time. over I took over punt returns from Dennis Northcutt. So I wasn't really, I wasn't a punt returner at first. I had to learn that after playing, being a kick returner. I was like, oh man, I got to be the punt returner too now? Okay, I'll take it. And then I had to learn that the second year. Off topic, true or false, in high school at Dunbar, you earned a varsity letter in swimming. Yes, I was a swimmer. I still swim. I was a lifeguard. You know, uh, butterfly was my stroke. Butterfly and uh, freestyle. Yes, I was a diver as well. I was reading about your high school days. And I saw you lettered in baseball, swimming, basketball, and obviously football. And you, uh, I don't know, you and Vernon Davis were teammates. Absolutely. He was the young boy. He had all the talent in the world. Uh, he came in as a super ninth grader at 6'4", 225 in the ninth grade. We're like, hey, put, hey, you over here, man. You on the team, man. You gonna play DN and we gonna play tight end for us. And, what, and he, <laughs> go ahead. What's up? What'd you play in baseball? The catcher, shortstop, uh, pitcher, uh, and center field. But uh, everything. You know, mostly <laughs> catcher, shortstop. Like that Bugs Bunny episode, caught by Bugs Bunny, thrown by. Did you? Uh, have you ever played in the Greg Newsom? What used to be the Jarvis Landry softball tournament? I was due to play this year, but I had went out of town. I had an emergency come up. Um, you know, I played for the uh, – I, I joined the Lake County captains during the lockout, and the Browns didn't let me play the actual game. So, like, I was really – I was I was wow. really a good baseball player. I, um, I went to Kent State only because they told me I was going to be able to play baseball as well. Because, remember, Kent State used to go to the tournament every year. Yeah. So I, I had baseball scholarships. So I went to Kent thinking that I could be a dual player, you know, a, a dual athlete. And um, being the quarterback, needing to catch up on work as a freshman, it just was not the opportunity I was looking for. Had I not been the starter at Kent, I would have played baseball as well at Kent. Man, I learned all sorts of stuff today. Uh, yeah, it's going to take me a while to decompress. Like, this is... This is this is a master class in ball. Um, Mr. Cribs, thank you so much again. Uh, it, it's been a true privilege to have you on here. Learned a lot. I know the listeners are going to lose their minds when they hear these stories and the things you provided. Um, truly appreciate it. Um, again, we'll have all the info in the episode description. Got to catch Josh and Marie Cribs every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. Their show, The Return. On Bally. On Bally. You can yeah, also see all the other social well. media stuff. Yeah, but Bally's is- doing uh before Cavs games. It comes on, and also uh, it's on uh, streams live on Twitter and YouTube. We'll have it all in the description. But again, sir, thank you so much. Really appreciate uh, catching up and talking to Ball. Would love to do it again. Uh, you know, best wishes and happy holidays to to you and the family. Happy holidays, guys. I appreciate you. For Mr. Cribs, for Raleigh, for myself, thank you for listening to Dogs War Podcast and good night, Cleveland. It was 1950 in the cold and rain when my father took me to my very first game. Said the Browns are going to show you how the game is played. Here we go.